0: the more sports now podcast at moresportsnow.com we cover new york and new jersey sports i'm steve titchener alone in our jersey studio and on the line my partners at their home matt lachlan and john McAlevey, and also on the line a very special guest who's taken time out of his busy day a number of times for us it's the giants beat writer for the daily news pat leonard and pat thanks for joining us once again of course thanks for having me on guys well, it was a good weekend for the Giants and Dave Gettleman. Uh, Ten picks and uh, a very deep draft. I'm sure he would like to have, uh, uh, trade it down, but that did not happen. Uh, let's start with the first pick. And, Pat, there was four highly rated offensive linemen going into the draft. And they were rated all over the place, depending on what mock draft you read. Uh, so tell us, uh, why Andrew Thomas over Wills, Becton, and Werfs?
1: Well, because he's a left tackle. That's a big one. You know, John Marin, the Giants, if they're going to draft a guy who they want one day to play left tackle, they want some snaps on tape of him playing left. And so when you compare him to Jedrick Wills, especially from Alabama, you know, there's a player who played well, played a big program, played in the same conference, but never played on the left side. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, a guy they liked, who people feel has huge upside, could play tackle in the league, but a lot of people in the NFL are projecting to guard. And Mikai Beckton has the more most upside of the group, but was a player who did not profile as pro ready day one as Andrew Thomas. And again, you know, not only that, but just the fact that what the more people I talked to about Thomas, as I got wind of the fact that he was the Giants guy or was one of or it was likely their guy, people telling me about how he is, you know, you're never going to hear about anything about him off the field. He's a clean cut kid, grew up in a religious family, you know, all the things that lined up, not only with what the giants like to hear about prospects, but then what, what, what judge has been talking about, about the kind of player. So the kind of player in person, it just all lined up for them. I I know the giants were trying to trade back. I think their ideal scenario was to move back a few spots and still get their top tackle Thomas. And honestly, you know, I had people telling me that they did like, Werfs and Beckton enough, where if they got the right deal, if they got a lot of picks to trade back, they would have slid back and possibly taken one of them if Thomas was off the board. But Thomas was their guy, their top tackle. And so when they ended up staying at four, they went with their top tackle on the board.
2: And it didn't hurt, Pat, that they had hours and hours of tape of Thomas playing in what is basically the G League for the NFL, the SEC, which is hands down the the best college football conference um, you know, in the nation. I mean, year in and year out, they just dominate the not only the first rounds, but the first three rounds. I think there were 40 picks from the SEC uh, that were taken. So having him on tape playing the left tackle position obviously went into a lot of it. But I'd like to put, if I could, to the other side of the football because not only do you have to protect your quarterback, you have to attack the other team's quarterback. And that's something the Giants have not done well in recent years. They only had, I think it was around 36 sacks last year. And, and the only player that they, that they drafted in that regard was Carter Coughlin in the seventh round. I mean, it puts a lot of pressure on folks like O'Shane, Zimenez, Lorenzo Carter, uh, and some of the other big boys up front. Did you think that they were going to address uh, attacking the quarterback, a defensive end, or maybe someone to, to get up the field as a rusher?
1: Yeah, no, I did. You're hitting on an important point here, which is that they are not good enough at that position. I mean, I don't care what anybody tells me, you know, whether you can scheme it up and you think that you can create pressure that way, that's fine. But their talent at the edge position right now is not good enough. Now, you you know, we'll see if they're not done, uh, if they can maneuver here. We obviously know that based on what they're putting into Leonard Williams up front as an end in the 3-4, that they want players like him to create more pressure and then hopefully eat up some space so that guys like Kyler Fackrell on this small one-year prove-it deal and you know Carter Coughlin and any of these names can step up. Lorenzo Carter and Oshane Zimenez though that you know if they don't step up, this is going to be a, yet again a year where the Giants don't get to the quarterback enough. I thought going into the draft there were a few positions that stuck out as needs. Like I I actually thought it wasn't obvious they were going offensive tackle up front you know, coming into the draft as far as clear top need, because they have such a great need on the edge. Yes. at offensive tackle, but also at safety. And that's why, you know, Xavier McKinney made a lot of uh, sense in round two as well, but you hit on, you hit it on the head here as it too. It, you know, it was kind of awkward when Gettleman was telling us about Andrew Thomas after the pick and the game that he said was one of those that solidified the pick for him. Was how well Thomas did against Kentucky edge rusher Josh Allen. And he says, Oh, well, you all know how much I love him. You mean the guy you passed on last year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, yeah, yeah, you're right. You did not draft that transcendent edge rusher that you love. You're right. So, you know, when he mentioned that, it's like a reminder. Yeah, yeah, you love Daniel Jones, whatever, but it's a reminder that they really haven't done enough. And I can tell you this for a fact. I mean, you can watch the games yourself and I'm sure you have the same opinion, but I talk to people in the league who tell you, they'll tell you, they don't think Lorenzo Carter or O'Shane Zimenez are the guy. Like they think that they can contribute, but not that they're going to step up and be the guy. And, you know, we may have just seen a typical sophomore slump from Lorenzo Carter and that he may blossom in year three. I do think O'Shane has some good moves and strength to him But again, the guy, you know, you were talking about the pedigree of playing in the SEC for someone like Thomas O'Shane playing at all the old dominion, you know, he's not used to this kind of competition. So uh, that's kind of a long winded way of saying, I did think they were going to address the edge more and I don't think they're good enough there. And Oh, the last thing I would add, they said that basically in Patrick Graham's scheme, they want a lot of different linebackers, a lot of different people creating pressure. But if you look at what the Dolphins did last year, trying to do that with that exact same plan. It did not go well. They were dead last in the league in sacks. And yes, they tanked as an organization and as a roster. Uh, but the, the point is, if you're going to just assume you don't need a number one edge rusher, more than likely, you're not going to get to the quarterback.
3: Well, there are so many needs that the Giants had slash have. So I would think that Whoever they went with, and, and listen, you know, no pass rush is critical. So you could identify that as really being after the offensive line, the overwhelming spot that needed to be shorn up. But then that leaves a hole. It's kind of like the, the guy with the finger in the dike. Like one hole springs up, you cover one up, another one gets exposed. So sure. it looked to me like this was very much, a conservative draft for Gettleman from this standpoint, he, he has to protect the quarterback. He has to be able to use say, Quan Barkley and yeah, there may not be a top end receiver there, but if I can protect my guy Jones, that people questioned whether I should have taken him so high. And if I can get some openings for Barkley and people question whether I should have taken him so high, then maybe Uh, I can live for another day, if you know what I mean. So I think it was almost a conservative, like, I don't care. Yes, I need the edge rusher, but I got to protect the two guys I went out on a limb to get.
1: For sure. And they're a conservative organization. So you expect that of them more so than other organizations. But also, I would add this to the equation. And, you know, you're right. But I would say, you know, we keep talking about Dave Gettleman in the Giants draft. I think we need to call it the Joe Judge Giants draft because. Because Dave Gettleman, yes, he's the general manager. Yes, he and Joe Judge were in the conversations. and you know He's the GM, and so at the end of the day, he's the general manager of the draft. But Joe Judge's presence, I do not consider it a coincidence that he arrives and that they suddenly are drafting for value, that they are suddenly drafting players either where they're supposed to go or way later than they were supposed to go and getting huge value on these guys rather than reaching, rather than drafting for need. Um, You know, Gettleman talked a lot about how he was going to upgrade the offensive line the first two years. He only drafted two offensive linemen and 16 picks in his first two drafts. I mean, it's really hard to believe when you go back and look. So what was the difference in year three? Was it that Gettleman finally recognized that he needed offensive linemen, or was it that he had the same priority, and then Joe Judge was bullish bullish on actually accomplishing it and getting it done? One thing that Gettleman and Judge discussed on the Zoom call with us was the dynamic of working the draft. And Judge alluded to the fact that he's sensitive to how much work scouts put in. And so he said, it must be tough in some of these conversations when I'm hammering on them about a prospect being a better fit for us. And they probably feel strongly about somebody. But really, this is this is the coach that the Giants hired. They hired him because he came with a plan, with a strategy with an understanding of value and how the Patriots have done things. And if this draft turns out to be a strong one, I think that Joe judge's influence is going to, I think as people get to know him better and know the organization he's building are going to recognize that he had a huge effect on how they ran this draft.
0: And Pat, they had, the Giants had ten picks, and this is considered a very deep, very strong draft. At least that's what they're saying now. We'll see. And this is a perfect year to have ten picks, including a uh, four in the seventh round. So you can argue that maybe they needed another round because there was a lot of good players that went undrafted. So you got Mister Irrelevant at uh, uh, Tay Crowder, who may not yeah. be that irrelevant because this was a very, right. uh, this considered again a very strong draft. So a very good year to have ten picks.
1: No doubt. No doubt. And, and, you know, and, and then on the flip side, really frustrating not to have that top of the third round pick uh, because you know, the, the value there would have just been extraordinary. Um, and so they end up getting Shane Lemieux who they think can play center from Oregon, the guard. Uh, but at, at the top of the third, if you have a pick, you could have actually drafted a center like LSU's Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, but for sure in the back of the draft here, the giants emphasis was speed. And so they went for def- a lot of defensive players, a lot of linebackers, some corners, but judge said something to me that really stuck out. Yeah, it sounds obvious, but I think it's a good point. He said, listen, you know, when you're drafting in the later rounds for value and for guys, you're going to contribute defensive players. Mostly are going to contribute on two of the three sides of the ball on your team. A lot of guys, you're drafting skilled players in positions on offense. They might only be chipping in on offense and that's it. And so as far as using value, not only going for some quality players in the back of the draft, but considering that if you get a seventh rounder, if he's only going to give you a certain amount of snaps a game, but he can be in a rotation of linebackers on defense and then a core special teamer. Now you're getting more production and more value out of that pick and that resource than you might, if it's a receiver who you're trying to bring along, but you can't find room for him on the field.
2: Pat, you brought up receiver, and that was the word I was going to ask you next. It was a uh, a really deep class in wide receivers, and a lot of them you saw after the uh, Hog Mollies went early in the draft. The, a lot of receivers went, Bing, Bing, Bing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Sterling Shepard is terrific when he's on the field, but you know, let's face it, he might be one concussion away from having to make a decision on, on you know, his career. Golden Tate is not a kid. Um, Darius Slayton was a revelation last year, but you know, Daniel Jones could use another deep threat or someone that can get the ball over the top. Did you think that that was a position that because it was so deep that they would have addressed at some point, cause they did not take
1: any receivers. Yes, I did. I, I was, uh, I was skeptical. They were going to use too high of a pick on it because of the needs we've discussed. O oh, tackle edge safety. But once we got into this discussion of the center's you know, if you have that high third round pick of Leonard Williams or better yet, when we talk about them trying to trade back from four, if you get a pretty quality trade out of that and you get a couple extra third and fourth round picks, that's probably how you end up getting a receiver there also to help your receiving core and your offense. And, you know, that's part of the reason why, frankly, having Dave Gettleman run another draft here is dangerous because he's never traded back in a draft. And if he wa- he and the Giants want to downplay that, is not a big deal. That is a big deal. I mean, you guys know that the fact that he has not been able once to squeeze significant additional resources out of a pick to get quality players a little bit further back. And I think that probably costs them here. You know, look at the Giants getting Denzel Mims at 59 overall. You know, it looked like they weren't going to be able to address a position where they really could afford to give Sam Darnold a a better weapon, but they end up landing a guy who is very high on a lot of people's boards and a lot of people are surprised that he fell. And I think, you know, I talked to a lot of scouts and people around the league who going into the draft felt like you could get starters at wide receiver into as deep as the fourth round. Um, And that's not saying people later than that can't but they're talking about guys that they know are going to come in and contribute. And I agree with you. I think ever since they traded Odo Beckham jr, you know, there's been so many other issues like Matt said about, you know, trying to put one hole in the, and then everything, you know, the, the water springs from somewhere else. But when you look at it, it's going to be hard for Slayton to replicate his rookie year. Everyone's got tape, you know, he's like the, he's like the pitcher in baseball who throws a complete game shutout on his first game. And then that's only because no one's seen him yet. And then everyone watches him, gets a tape, learns his pitches. And then the next time he's out in two and a third. And so I think you need to be careful about just assuming that he's going to produce the same way and be a true number one and that Shepard's going to be healthy. Um, but they're, they're optimistic and they like a lot of these guys. They got got at the back of the draft. Um, and by back of the draft, I mean, the undrafted free agents, um, they signed Three receivers, I think it is, Signed guy, Austin, no, receivers, Derek Gillen from LSU, two guys from Ohio State, Austin Matt, and Benjamin Victor, and a guy named Rice and John uh, from Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, six foot seven. Now, of course, that, you know, nothing is to say that any of them will be significant contributors. I do know the kid from LSU was a priority of theirs, Dylan. Uh, They went out and spent a lot of money on him and basically locked him up the second the draft ended. Uh, So he was a pretty big emphasis of theirs and we will see if he can get on the field.
3: You know, you, you, you mentioned the fact that Gettleman has never been able to make that kind of a trade around the draft. Why? Like what, is it about him? I mean, he certainly is confident enough. Every GM thinks that they've got the secret sauce. They found someone that no one else knows about or, or their team will be able to develop them to a degree that some people don't, et cetera. So why the reluctance? I mean, he seems to have enough braggadocio and, and ego that, like, I'm the guy, so why not? Yeah, I mean, you know, part of it's ego
1: and part of it, and but what I mean by that, too, is, you know, you mentioned it. When you're a career scout like Dave Gettleman is and you trust your judgment and you've worked for decades in a specific uh, you know, line of work and you feel like when you turn on tape of a football game that you can correctly identify the players, the dudes, the guys who aren't going to make it, you get to a point where you do so much homework on these players going into a draft that you feel so confident in your evaluations that it makes it difficult to then trade out of a spot where you feel... You know what? I don't really, I don't really think I'm going to get a player anywhere close to this player's ability and talent and his guaranteed contributions. And so, it's easy for somebody who trusts their own judgment of scouting players implicitly to argue against trading back because they'll say, you know, why else did you hire me? You hired me for my experience at identifying players. But of course, there are more variables to this than just evaluating whether a player is going to be good or not. I mean. Bill Belichick, you know, talk about great egos in the game, certainly has one. But what does he do? He constantly trades back to acquire more assets. And part of what that's predicated upon is the the understanding that he is going to miss on as many players as everybody else is, whether he thinks he knows football better than everyone or not. And so it's really about getting, as uh, my old pal Alain Vigneault used to say when he was with the Rangers, more kicks at the can. You know, you need, you need more chances to land those picks because if you're really being honest with yourself, you're just not going to hit. Um, I, that's, I'm actually surprised they didn't make a trade back because I thought judges Patriots influence was going to lead that to actually happen. Um, I think teams were just less willing to give up a ton. And the last element I would add, as far as gentlemen is concerned, he's made some trades now. Where the precedent shows us that when he does make a trade, he gets to a point where he's more he's more interested in getting his end goal accomplished than extracting maximum value. Now, not that he doesn't want to extract maximum value from trades, he's obviously going for that. But my point is, you know, the acquisition of Leonard Williams and the ignorance of how much you're overpaying, sharing, you know, giving up a third and a fifth and these these assets for a player who might only play eight games for you or trading L. Beckham jr. For a lot less than what you could have gotten them for a year prior, basically just because you wanted him out of the building and you wanted to make a point. Um, these are things that, you know, over time they all add up and become somebody's track record. So, um, you know, I, I know I'm not the only one who thinks this. I mean, I might be saying it a little more pointedly <laughs> than other people will, but The fact is, it really is alarming. All you have to do is look around the league, see how often teams, you know, John Schneider and the Seahawks, I mentioned Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Um, You saw Joe Douglas wheeling and dealing uh, for the Jets in this draft, which was nice to see. Um, And you don't want to just, you know, make a trade to make a trade and take action. But I think there's an under, you know, once you have a comprehensive understanding of the fact that drafting best player available can make your team better and that you have a full understanding of the entire draft and even into past year and future years drafts of what's coming and what you can afford um you know then that leads you to be able to extract value to land the players you want or or just the confidence in knowing that you might have a player correctly evaluated but that trading out Acquiring more assets is better for the team in the long term and that you're not smarter than the next guy in a, in evaluating who's going to hit and who's not.
0: And Pat, to your point, I mean, if you look at the last two years with the Giants first round, you know, Daniel Jones, the seventh pick last year. And this year with Andrew Thomas, in both cases, you can make the argument that they could have got both players later in the first round. Now, Gettleman got his player and Daniel Mm -hmm. Jones. He was absolved from that because he did. You know, he was the player that Gettleman believed he was. And and we'll see that Mm -hmm. likely from Andrew Andrew Thomas as well. But in both cases, they probably could have gotten them later in the first round. So the fourth and seventh didn't mean as much, I think, is Mm -hmm. what you're getting at, perhaps.
1: Well, the, um, well, what I'm getting at is basically under is understanding where you can get those guys and not overdrafting them. Um, and, and so in the, in the case of, right. And so in the case of, it's actually interesting that they didn't trade back from four because the feeling I got from talking to everybody I was talking to and what I was being told is essentially the giants liked Andrew Thomas, but the, you know, Dave Gettleman constantly talks about the gold jacket guys. If you're going to draft a guy in the t- top five. You got to see him as a hall of famer. And even though they loved Andrew Thomas, I think they saw a lot of these tackles as good players who were worthy of a top 10 pick, but maybe not necessarily guaranteed top five guy. And so that's where that comes in as far as being willing to trade back. Um, and also understanding the value of where you're picking. Um, but to, but this is what's interesting here too, is that Thomas he was the he was the Giants' highest player on the board there when they took him. The Daniel Jones pick before Joe Judge arrived is interesting uh, because Daniel Jones was at least what I was told at the time. People were stunned that he was the pick there because there were players like Josh Allen graded above him, um, and so that's where, of course, you know, if you believe in a franchise quarterback. And you believe that you know this is the most important position on the field, and we believe in this guy and we don't think we're going to get him at 17, which is a whole other conversation. But the bottom line is, you know when you draft Andrew Thomas and you feel confident in him as your top guy, at least as I as we understand it right now, he was their top guy of four compared to in previous years maybe where uh, Gettleman was reaching for a player based on need.
2: No doubt. And as bad as the Giants offense was last year, Pat, we know that their defense was abysmal. And all of a sudden now, if you look at, and listen, I know games are not played on paper, but if you take a look at the Giants' secondary on paper, it's shaping up as you know three pretty high draft picks and then a high-priced free agent in James Bradbury. You put Xavier McKinney uh, in the back with Jabril Peppers, who has a lot to prove. And also another guy who has a lot to prove is Deandre Baker, whom the giants traded back into the first round to get. So there's four, what should be pretty good players. So hopefully, and you mix in the Sam Beals and Julian loves, and the giants might have the makings of a nice young secondary.
1: For sure. And this is another thing I think is very clearly a Joe judge uh, emphasis is he, he came in and watched the tape and he saw what you saw, which is as much as we need to do things on offense, we before we do anything, we need to make sure that we're not giving up these forty-five, fifty yard passes every couple series. And obviously they're young in the secondary, so that'll happen. But from the corner market, and remember they went after Byron Jones and then he went to Miami and then they landed James Bradbury. But they were going after the top of the corner market, the second free agency opened. So it was the priority, not a priority, it was the priority. And they're very excited about McKinney. I mean, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you mentioned him because they're extremely excited about him, which is, it's funny, actually, I was talking to somebody who said that part of the reason he didn't run a great 40 and train well, and that he wasn't a first round pick was because he decided to train at Alabama by himself or just with, you know, but train at Alabama with his people there rather than actually going and getting a combine trainer. Um, And so it's funny, you know, not doing all of that extra preparation, maybe that somebody else is doing, um, you know, with a, with a, you know, individualized trainer, separate from your college program, he ends up going later than a lot of people thought, but the giants believe that it was in their best interest that he fell. I was skeptical that he would actually be the pick because even though he can cover on the back end, he's much more of a versatile player. And I thought they were looking for a true cover one free safety, but clearly they believe he can do that. And wait till you see how much it changes their defense if McKinney is able to lock up the back end. I mean, we watched last year with Antoine Bethea, who was once a really good player, but was several steps slow last year. And that compounded with Jabril Peppers overrunning a lot of plays, even though he's an incredible athlete. And then all the corners outside who just, without a pass rush, could not lock people up. So I think you, you hit it right on the head that they really attacked the secondary This kid Darnay Holmes from UCLA sounds like somebody who's going to end up on the field early. You know, he's tough. He's fast. He's competitive. He has a good head on his shoulders. I frankly think like Deandre Baker, he's in for a rude awakening because he came in as a first round pick last year, rested on his laurels, didn't learn the playbook. And it showed and with Joe judge here and with them throwing more bodies at the secondary and competitive guys who show that they do their stuff. If people like Baker don't ship up, and do their and 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 take care of their assignments and really commit. They're not going to play for this coach, and that that's actually um, that's actually kind of something that I think is an underlying current here. They're drafting players who they believe can handle tough coaching, and also that when they don't have to, they don't have to watch them twenty four hours a day. They know they're going to do the right thing.
3: That there's so many things that we could discuss and touch upon and we'd be here for hours, but I do want to get to, and you touched upon it in that what challenges certain players face and how are they going to respond, but we don't know what they've been doing. We don't know how workouts are going to proceed. Uh, Players can't be in the building. Uh, There's volunteer offsite stuff that's going on. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. such an amazing time in history Uh, And we don't know when we're coming out of it. So just looking into your crystal ball, like what kind of a year should we even start on time? I don't know that's going to happen. That might be pushed off, at least most recent reports. Anyway, it's kind of hard to speculate, but what kind of impact is what we're going through going to have on what we're going to see when we see it?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think think you're going to see a more disciplined team, uh, better in-game management, you know, not not mismanaging clock and situational football. I think, you know, one word you heard about how Joe Judge ran the draft was thorough. That's the word that everyone keeps using, thorough. And that's what you're going to find he is as a coach, as a game manager, whatever it is. You know, they might not win a ton of games this year again, but it's not going to be because they weren't prepared for it. Um, the one con- The major concern, I think, is how Daniel Jones is going to develop and, you know, gel with his new teammates and how they're going to be able to incorporate new systems, new offense, new defense without being together in person for as much as they would like. Um, you know, they're not doing virtual workouts. So that means they're trusting the players to work out on their own rather than having them work out on camera for their trainer. You know, a lot of teams are going that direction. Um, but you know, Joe judge is no nonsense with these players. The, the, the stuff you're hearing him say to these guys, when they get drafted, that Sal Powell at ESPN was reporting about, you know, I don't want to hear you talking about super bowls, put your head down and work. That is real. That is what's happening behind the scenes. And it's going to be interesting to see. I really do think that the the storyline off the field is going to be what players can't handle his style. You know, and that could go anywhere from the bottom of the roster guys who just can't handle it and can't cut it and get cut early, even on a virtual basis, to all the way up to someone like Saquon Barkley, who is a star and is expecting maybe to be treated like a star, but is going to be treated like everybody else on the roster. And how will he handle being told that he's competing for the running back job, even though everybody knows he's special and he's the starter? And should be earning it. You know, those are kind of the things that'll be interesting. But Jones and his development and how he is able to grow and improve on the decision making and the turnovers from last year that's going to be interesting because who knows when he gets into camp with Jason Garrett and the new offense and Jerry Szaplinski, the new quarterback's coach. And who knows really how many games he's going to be playing if he starts in October and that delay, you know, does that buy him enough time to develop and get ready? I think what you're seeing, if you look around the NFC East though, and not, not to go get too long winded on you, but the NFC East, obviously the Eagles are getting crushed by their fans, but in large part, the NFC East had a good draft. I think the Cowboys got so much better and had one of the better drafts in the NFL. And so the giants are going to really find it difficult to win games because of all of the factors we just discussed with the NFL schedule not being together on top of the fact that these teams that have been beating them year in and year out in their division just got better. But I will say this, I think giants fans will come out of watching Joe judge teams pleased with the effort and the approach and the preparation and game plan more so than they've been in years past. Of course, it only matters though, if you win.
0: We're talking to Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News. You're listening to the More Sports Now podcast. Hey, Pat, let's take a look at that other team in New York, the Jets, and uh, their first-round pick, Makai Becton, one of those big four linemen that we were talking about. Now, are, you know, the Giants whiffed on Eric Flowers. Does this look like something like it's that because he's a mountain of a man like that? Does this look like it's one of those boom or bust situations as well?
1: It could be. Yeah, it could be. And he, he could also, you know, with the right structure, structure is the word that comes to mind with me and that people mention constantly. The guy like Makai Beckton, you know, he has the size, he has this incredible agility to go along with his size. And so what you just need to do is harness it enough as far as, you know, consistent approach, work ethic, and understanding of the offense, and then just let him grow and use his natural talent. You know, I think, I think he, it could turn into this could turn into something really great. I love the fact that he's mad at the Giants for not taking him and he's already talking about it because we all know that Darnold was a playmaker when he was running for his life, even against the Giants last year when he didn't have great protection, but he's just able to buy time and deliver. And now if you're able to get a guy like Beckton, who not only is a mountain of a man on the left at the left tackle position, but also is athletic enough and agile enough to move and shift probably as Darnold is too... I think this has incredible potential. I think the Jets had no choice but to do what they did there. Um, you know, I, I like the pick. I will say that as much as you, you mentioned Eric Flowers, Beckton, it's not like people doubt that he's going to work. It's just that he comes from a small, like you mentioned about Andrew Thomas of Georgia, you know, playing at Louisville, even though he played with Lamar Jackson, and, you know, it's not like good players don't come out of there, but. There's just not that absolute check the box, you know, circle his name and never come back to it type of guarantee that he's going to be that guy. Whereas Andrew Thomas, not that he's a guarantee, he's just a little bit closer to that. So yes, there's some boom bust risk to that draft pick. um, But I like it and I like his attitude. And I like the fact that if the jets are going to be anything they understand, that Sam Darnold's going to carry them there because he really does look that special as a quarterback. Um, and actually it's it's an interesting comparison. I think Daniel Jones, you just gave me a story idea as we're talking here, Daniel Jones and Andrew Thomas may both be the more con- are the more conservative, possibly steady options at quarterback and left tackle. But the jets have Sam Darnold and Mekhi Beckton. Who really both have clearly higher ceilings, and if they reach them, then the long-suffering Jets fans will be suffering no more. I can promise you that. And while we're talking about the Jets, I would mention their third-round pick, Ashton Davis, the safety out of Cal. He's somebody who I was looking at for the Giants too. Obviously, McKinney falls to them in the second round, but this kid, Ashton Davis, uh, who got the Senior Bowl nod, you know, had a tough, tough childhood but like a hard worker, one of those kids who nobody believed in, wasn't recruited very hard initially and just turned into a complete, you know, athlete, gym rat, ball hawk, um, a player that, you know, blue collar so the New York fans will love him and will just contribute everywhere. You know, even if he becomes uh, an every down player on your defense, he's still going to play every snap on special teams too. And we already talked about Mims uh, getting great value there at wide receiver the Jets could be really good, really quickly, and I mean in the next year or two, um, if Adam Gase harnesses the talent and the potential that Joe Douglas helped him land in this draft. Last one from me,
2: Pat, and I really appreciate you coming on and giving us the uh, the four one one that you have. Uh, what were your impressions of the virtual draft overall? Uh, did you actually think that that was the commissioner's basement, or was that just uh, <laughs> a put on? And then, how about maybe um, a couple of head scratcher picks for you? I mean, I know for me, the um, you know the Jordan Love pick by Green Bay, and then also the Jalen Hurts by the by the Eagles were a couple of head scratchers from me. So maybe just hit on a couple of those counts for
1: us. I love your cynicism on Goodell's basement. I never even thought of that. Like that's, that's actually a really good point. I never even thought Have of that. Have you
2: seen his house? If you Google his house, that does not look like a basement that would be in that house unless it's maybe a closet. <laughs>
1: wow. This is incredible. This might be what I worked on until I actually figure it out. Uh, uh, no, I love that. I, yeah, no, I think, um, well, I would say this, you know, I thought the NFL and everybody associated with it and the broadcast did a great job. Obviously there's things more important than this going on right now. I do think they did a great job. I think it's a little overblown. People are, you know, um guffawing over how many people watched it. I mean, we are literally a captive audience. <laughs> I mean, what else are we gonna do? It was the only thing in town, of course we're gonna watch. Um, I also thought that the broadcast was a little too You know, not negative, but it it was like they draft a guy, and before they could even get to whether they thought it was a good pick or not, you'd be hearing about this tragic backstory in his family. While we didn't even get to enjoy the fact that he got picked, and we haven't seen him even yet celebrating with his family on his couch. You know, I thought the storytelling in that regard was a little bit much, um, and not enough debate about the picks either. You know, like you mentioned, when debatable picks happen, You know, our jobs as analysts and reporters, and, you know, I do both, your job is to take the information you have available and to come down with an opinion. And obviously, if you're not informed on it, then you dish it to somebody who has enough information who can make one. But I would love to see a little bit more criticism or at least, um, you know, analysis of the picks rather than just telling us who they are. Uh, You know, I thought it went off really well. I do agree with you. I think the Jalen Hurts pick is far and away. Like even though the even though the Jordan Love pick is going to screw things up in Green Bay more than they even realize, I think the Jalen Hurts pick is just far and away the, the most ridiculous pick of this draft. And mainly because you know you can always tell when people are reporting things that are being told to them and that they haven't thought it out yet, because when you start hearing immediately after he gets drafted that they're thinking of him as Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is Taysom Hill can play receiver is a special teamer. He can line up at running back and he also can play QB and he has been groomed possibly to be a longer term QB in new Orleans. Jalen Hurts is a quarterback. So if he's on the field for the Eagles, he is playing quarterback. Like this is, this is not a like, Hey, Jalen Hurts is a wide receiver conversation debate. He's a quarterback. And to me, there's only one thing that that pick tells me, it tells me that the Eagles do not think Wentz is going to stay healthy. And what I mean by that is not maybe not this year, but next year, they recognize that he's probably one major injury away from maybe never being the same player again, again and they're hedging. And the reason you know that is because of how high of a pick they used on him. Um, and so Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson, hey, they did what they thought was best. They did what they thought was right. But they're not go They're not... You're not going to hear the Eagles say that they're not confident in Wentz staying healthy. You know, it's not in their interest to say that and they still want him to lead them to their next Super Bowl and I think they do believe that he can lead them to their next Super Bowl. But this pick all it showed me is that if you're in the NFC East, if you're the if you're Washington or Dallas or the Giants, you're looking at this and you're saying, "Wow, the Eagles are preparing for Carson Wentz not to be their quarterback much earlier than any of us thought."
3: Good point, and the last one from me, and that is, is there football this year, and how are we going to have a league, and how is it going to shape up in your mind?
1: I think there is, i I've been one of those, I've been a person who was skeptical it was even going to happen, um, I still don't think it's impossible they don't play, but then when I talk to people in the league about it, you know, the there's a sentiment that they're just going to find a way, no matter how they have to do it. They're going to find a way. There's too much money to lose, and from everybody's perspective, at the top of the NFL and these organizations, um, you know, to not have and hold a season. I know I saw was it uh, Sports Business Journal had the story that the contingency plans included something all the way up to starting the season on October 15th and then running the Super Bowl into late February. And actually, the, the draft dates were just announced for next year in Cleveland, and they've pushed the draft back a week. So that gives you a little bit of an idea into or the window into how things are starting to get pushed back, and the league is already planning that far ahead. I, you know, the thing I can't wrap my head around is how they would play without fans. Um, if it came to that, I just don't know how you could do that. I mean, you know, going back to the draft question if there was one major negative of the, how they held the draft, it was the idea that without fans, it's really not the same. I mean, we we got a good glimpse, an interesting human element to it that was, everybody loved and I liked. But I think the shortcoming was, you know, the fans make up the the league. You know, it's the players and it's the fans. And without the fans in, in these stadiums and these guys playing, I just don't see how the game could be the same, how the players could generate the same type of enthusiasm, how it would be anything like the product that we would consume, even if we were all just watching from our couches. Um, I just think that they're, they're, I guess my best, but the best way I can say it is if it were just me evaluating it for myself based on everything I read in the newspaper every day and watching the real world, I would say they were not playing. But when I talk to people in the NFL or around the NFL, They believe that they're going to find a way, whether it's isolating them in uh, neutral site cities. I know uh, I think it was Tony Pauline at Pro, uh, Pro Football Network reported that the league had been in contact with Delta Airlines trying to secure or discuss the secure of two jets per team that would only be used for the NFL teams. And then talking to Marriott about trying to essentially say, okay, if we're staying in this hotel in Denver this week, no one else is staying in that hotel so that we know we're not exposing ourselves to anyone. And then we're not being exposed to anyone. So th- there's all kinds of contingencies being discussed. Um, and you know, I- I'll say this, I know I could speak for everyone saying that I hope we can have football in some safe way uh, where people can enjoy the product, but everybody—and this includes the players—who, let's say, the owners decide there's a way that they're going to play. I mean, if you're an individual player, what kind of protections do you have health-wise? You know, I know I've talked to attorneys who don't believe that players in the new collective bargaining agreement would have a way to uh, basically sue or take action for the league maybe forcing them to play in conditions that they don't feel safe playing within while this virus is still out there. So how will the NFLPA weigh, weigh in? Um, and I know with the, with the start of the league year, for example, you know how we waited weeks and weeks, and the clubs waited weeks and weeks to find out when they could actually start these virtual offseason programs. Well, you're going to see the same thing happening now with the season. I mean, this is not just the NFL and the owners and the players making the decision. This is the NFL Players Association on behalf of the players negotiating, fighting for rights, standing up, uh, for, you know, the player's safety and the player's health and, you know, hopefully not giving the owners an 18th regular season game in their next negotiations. But, um, you know, the bottom line is there's so many people involved and so many variables that it's going to be very difficult to execute, but I hope, and i I know you guys do too, that we, uh, we get back to normal here.
0: Oh yeah, a lot of people are weighing on this decision because it's uh, it's gonna hurt missing out on football and even on the college level too. I mean, that's for a sports fan. That's about as tough as it gets. I know on this show, it's uh, you know football's front and center for us, so that that would be a uh, that would be a tough one, man. If they uh, and it seems like there's as you're saying, there's some extreme measures being discussed. Uh, when you're talking mm-hmm. about planes for just the NFL team and hotels just for the NFL team, I mean, wow, that's uh, uh, that's uh, that's measures that you know. Listen, if if they have to do it, do it because we don't want to miss out on football. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's no question about it. I mean, you know, I, I think everybody in, around the league, like the general
1: managers, they are they're very pleased with how Goodell stuck to his guns here and said like Let's help. Let's hold the draft on time." Let's Mm -hmm. do it in this way. Let's find a safe way to do it. And they're all pleased with how it went off with how they were able to work efficiently, you know, even though they weren't together in person. And so they like how the plan came together. So now they're taking confidence in how this all worked out at least into the next phase of how they plan this. But I can tell you this, you know, what the coaches want, the coaches want certainty. So Whatever the plan is, the coaches just want to know when they're starting. You know, so if it's if it's uh July four if, if it's not July twenty fifth that they can start training camp and it's August 18th, then they just wanna know. Or if it's not August 18th, it's September 1st, then they just wanna know. But of course the problem is the only way they can know for sure is if their league and Roger Goodell and the doctors working with the PA and the NFL. Mm-hmm the players association, not only know themselves what is possible, but then can agree to parameters of how they proceed. Giants fans can feel good about this though, because Joe judge told us a couple weeks ago that he basically has color coded calendars that he has set up for several different contingency plans. So if we start this date, here's how we do it. If we start this date, here's how we do it. And so that's, that's the kind of guy that the giants hired. And I can, that's why I say, you know, they'll be prepared because he Uh is not unprepared for these different scenarios.
0: Sounds like he's ready. Well, Pat, we know you, uh, it's a very busy time. Draft time is a busy time for you. So we appreciate you taking some time for, uh, for the show, which you always do around draft time. We want, we want to get you back uh, sooner than later though.
1: Oh yeah, no, definitely. I, Hey, let's, uh, there's going to be plenty to talk about. This is one thing I want fans to know. Just because the draft is over and just because we don't know when the season's going to start does not mean there won't be things to talk about. Mm -hmm. I will be writing constantly on the Daily News website. I'll be tweeting. I'll be on Instagram, and I would gladly join you guys as often as possible to tell people the stories of what's happening now, because it's never been more unique. We've never been in a more unique situation, an unprecedented situation. So there will be stories. They just won't be the same ones we're used to.
0: Uh, we'll take you up on that, Pat. So Pat Leonard, the Giants beat writer for The Daily News. Again, thanks again, Pat, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: You got it. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care and be well. All right, Pat, All right. Thanks very much.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks, Pat. And that's Pat Leonard, the giant beat writer for the Daily News, and always good to have him on, but we got to get him on more often.
2: No doubt. He's got his finger on the pulse of the Giants, um, not only the Giants, but the league. You could hear him. He was getting into all the different contingency plans and whatnot, and uh, his articles are always informative. He writes a lot. As he mentioned, he'd love to come back on because it's a, it's a different time. But um, you know he he sees the the things from all angles and he's definitely a must read over at the Daily News and we really
3: appreciate him coming on with us. Yeah, he's the best Giants writer uh, in the area, no question. And I appreciate the fact that he raised a little hockey by bringing Elaine Vino's name into the discussion so i appreciate the, the fact that pat recognizes there's more than just football of course he covered the rangers for many years before transitioning to the giants and that's where i first got to know him. so a little hockey talk always a good thing even though we were dominated and
0: rightfully so by football and that'll do it for this week's show, the podcast at moresportsnow.com. Check out our site, moresportsnow.com. I'm Steve Titchener with John McAlevy and Matt Lachlan. We want to thank Pat Leonard from the Daily News again, and we'll catch you all next week. Bye-bye.